You're the big, big boss. You tell me what to do, and I gladly do my job. But I don't like your attitude. In tech, it was like the same story every day. Like I, I hopped around. I, I probably had like eight jobs. Eight that's normal, eight, right? I mean, that's, eight that's... to ten. Yeah, yeah, totally normal. But like so many tech teams, and it was always the same story uh, for me when I was young, which was, you know, you start and you're super excited, and you know you're productive and you work really hard and like get reputation for the first year. And then you start seeing cracks in your management and start questioning their decisions. And then you get upset because you think the management's holding you back. And like the team could be so much better if the leadership like got it and had roadmaps and right. like vision. And then all of a sudden you're like sort of start that checking out phase where it's like, I'm wasting my time here. Like I'm too good for this place. And then eventually like you leave and start to cycle over again. Right. And so it's like you almost never, I don't know, it's almost like you're in a different world than like other people in your company. It's like you're in your bubble and like looking out, you don't really realize how things are. And so you get like dissatisfied. Right. Yeah. But like, and I think, I think what you said was significant in that when you're not even aware you have a personal culture, you can't even make that judgment and assessment you know, as to how they're colliding, how they're interacting, how with what you believe is interacting with what the company. Now tell me, who do you think you are? Besides the person who happens to be in charge. Welcome back to the Leadership in Tech podcast. This is our third season episode number 66 and today we are wrapping up the topic of culture listen in as the guys go over what was covered in the last few episodes on culture and hear what's next remember culture is only the second part of the accountability funnel if you want to know more about the show go to www.techonramp.com and if you want to know more about the companies that make this show possible, go to www.salt.io or www.leader193.com. Listen after the show ends for more info on our sites, sponsors, show credits, and more. Please rate and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Maybe you got lucky, maybe you worked real hard, and just maybe that doesn't make you smart. What's Unbelievable. What? Unbelievable. Up? I just heard you make what was effectively a cold call, and <laughs> damn, I wish I had hit record before you made it. Try I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to call. I don't call people. That's all I do, I feel like. I just call people. They're like, who is this again? <laughs> I don't call people unless they know. Like, I don't I don't call people who I have to say, like, you know, this is Zach. Like, the who? like tech guy. You know, we. <laughs> I don't call anyone who doesn't thoroughly know me, like, very well. You want, you want to hear a funny story about cold calling? I'm going to tell a funny story about cold calling. I may have told you this, but it's good to share. Since since somehow we got on this, I was in between 
the SEAL teams and the FBI, I sold copiers, right? And copiers is like the Vietnam of sales. You can sell copiers, you can sell anything. So because I was in the military and I still had a military ID, they assigned me to the Pentagon. So I could just walk into the Pentagon, right? That was part of the challenge. Wait, can selling. anyone just walk in? No, right? Well, no, I had, I had ID. I had military ID. Okay. So, you know, you show your ID, you go in. Well, the reason people have trouble selling in the Pentagon is because they can't get in, right? They can't get in. You can't just walk in on somebody. Well, I could, right? So, you know, I had that advantage. I've got a million funny stories about that. How somebody finally was like, how do you keep getting in here? <laughs> so, so anyway, I call. This is back when you had to go through the phone book, by the way, to get your leads, right? So you were literally in the oh, yellow. Well, half page. our audience is not going to even know what that is. Oh yeah, the phone book, man. So I always, you know, you sell high. So I'm selling to. So I get this name as high as I can in the Pentagon and whatever division he runs. I leave a message, and. You know, whatever I say, and he calls me back, leaves me a message. He goes, it sounds interesting. I'm not exactly sure, but he goes, I'd love to talk to you more about it. And he sets the time, comes in. So it was a colonel in the Army. So I go into his office, and it's down, like, in the, in the, in the Pentagon, there is a corridor where all of the big offices are, right? Secretary of Defense, you know, it's like. It's this beautiful corridor, separate from all the other nasty-looking corridors there. So I'm down this corridor, and I'm like, oh, man. So I walk into what I think is the office. It's huge. It's plush. That's just the secretary's waiting room. Yeah. So I introduce myself. and said, all right, the colonel's expecting you. He'll, he'll be out in a second to meet you. So I'm like, okay, thanks. So um, she leaves, and the colonel comes out and greets me. He's like, Errol, how are you? He goes, look, I've just got to tell you, if the secretary comes in, I'm going to have to take that that meeting. But, you know, let's let's start talking now. And I go, by secretary, I'm guessing you're not meeting the lady who was sitting here. He goes, no. <laughs> I go, and I'm guessing you're like saying secretary of defense. He's like, yeah, right. I'm like, OK. So we go into his office and he goes, OK, so tell me, you know, what you got. So I said, look, Colonel, I've got to be honest with you. I said, as a salesperson, my job is to sell to the highest person I can, right? Because those are the, usually the decision makers. He's like, right, good job, because here you are. And I said, you can never really sell too high. He goes, <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I said, except in this case. <laughs> I, said, I said, you're not even sure what I'm trying to sell you. He's like, no, but you said some really interesting things about productivity. I'm like, right, I sell copiers. He goes, wow, good job. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he goes. What the hell did you say? Like, how do you say? I mean, if you're selling a copier, what the hell are you telling these people? Oh my god, no, that's a whole other story. So I go, I go, look, I go, I just don't think it's right for you to. Tell the Secretary of Defense, can you give me a second? Because this guy's going to tell me how many tell me how many sheets per minute his machine sells or runs. So he starts laughing. He goes, "Who can I call? Who could, who do you need to talk to right now to make the sale?" And I'm like, "This person, and this person." He picks up the phone, calls him. He goes, "I'm sending Errol. I want you to give him your full attention." 
and I made that sale. It was unbelievable. I don't know. How <laughs> oh my guys god! <laughs> like, I was like, first time in my life, I'm like, I sold too high. He was cool, man. He's like, good job. I don't know. Did he you think you were selling like space shuttles or something? I don't know. <laughs> I just literally was like, because at the time. This is when software was king, right? If you, because it was brand new, like, oh, software. And so if you were selling software, you were selling good stuff. And our, our machines had some kind of, you know, basically what we do now every day, we go on our computer, hit print. That was cutting edge technology at the time <laughs> I'm talking about. It was brand new, right? Print to format, they call it, or whatever the hell they call it. So that's what we so that we said we were selling software, but really we were just selling a big copier. But look what you can do. It could be on your computer, you can hit print on your computer instead of walking over Thank there. God. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So so the, the general the lexicon of the whole copier sales was don't say you're selling copiers, say you're selling software solutions. Right? So it was it was unbelievable. So this guy I need Sorry. to take some training, I feel, because <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah, man, it was it was crazy. <laughs> that was old school right from the start. All right, we got to get going. Right, what are we talking about? We are finishing up culture. Like we, a wrap-up episode? The wrap-up episode on culture, which, again, is only the second part of the accountability funnel. Again, let's rehash. In essence, what is culture? Culture is nothing more than the things that you do. That's it. If you had to break down whatever we did, the two or three episodes on culture before this, that's the breakdown. You know, so the fancy names we put on our cultures, like we are a culture of, you know, high performance. We are a culture of action. Those are all the culture of failure. We we like to fail and keep trying. Yeah, well, that would, that's what most of them would be. But those are all just monikers you, you just put on the things, the consequence of the things you do. You know, when we talked about the SEAL teams, we didn't say we have a culture of. We just simply defined what we did. And then, you know, as we talked about in the last couple of episodes in the FBI, not only did they not define a culture, they didn't even define the things they did properly. So, and that's when you have, that's when you have bad culture. So that was like, so to recap, that was like Navy SEALs bias towards action. If right. left of the decision, choose to act. Mm-hmm. And I think FBI sometimes is biased towards not act. And Just like, bias you know, towards say stuff. no first. Right. 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 So yes, say yes first, say no first. There you go. Yeah. Say yes first, say no first. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Go, no go. And, you know, look, you said... Again, the premise of this whole podcast is to say my unique experience, as fun as it may be to listen to, is completely relevant and transferable to the things that we're talking about in the tech industry with tech teams. In every single way. Yeah. I mean, so you, you said it yourself, culture of go, culture of yes, which is what you try to do with your team now versus culture of no, culture of obstruct, culture of breakdown. Break down new ideas, break down innovation, you know, whatever it is. It's all over the place. I think I feel like, you know, we talked about this many episodes ago, but like people don't pay attention unless it's like life or death for some reason. And so in the tech world, it's never life or death. I mean, some industries aside, right? Like if you're building space shuttles with NASA, it's clearly life or death. But in the where most of us work on the internet, 
it's very rarely life or death. And so the right. life or death stories from the FBI or the SEALs really re resonate with the same sort of principles that transfer over to, you know, say culture of yes, culture of no. Yeah, and it's, you know, and everything we'll talk about, the reason why these stories are applicable is because the principles, if you are doing bad leadership things and bad planning things and bad cultural things, and you bring that group who you as a leader have done into combat, you're going to get people killed, literally. But the things that you need to do to keep people safe and win are the things we can just do everywhere, every day, the things we do, culture. So it's just, again, you know, it, it's sad that because it's not life and death, we don't do the steps that are necessary for success. And really, and really, quite frankly, a good environment, a good culture. You know, I think, I think tech is a little different because it's a unique, not everybody can just jump into the tech industry, right? There's, there's, there's a true aptitude, um, even if you don't know it, to learn it. Like, I just don't, I don't have the aptitude mostly because it doesn't, it doesn't jazz me up, right? To, to, well, to it took you 15 minutes to get this Skype session going so we could record. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> but, but let's just say I, I had to get a job, right? It was, it was a job that I had to do and I had to learn. And I was like, okay, obviously I can learn it because anybody can learn anything. Um, what would matter to me? So coding itself isn't what really jazzes me. What would matter is the environment that I worked in. And I've said it before. The, the job that I just talked about, selling copiers, I loved that job. Not because I gave a crap about copiers. I didn't. But the environment that I worked in was so good. And it's not because we went to happy hour all the time. We did. But the only reason happy hour was fun was because the work culture was so good. We had direction. We had guidance. We had guidelines. Those were the things we did. The guy led us who led us was great. And we were successful. So all of that led to a great work environment. And then we all became friends because... That was the environment. It was just great to be in. You know. Way to make the story relevant into the episode. Who knew? Who knew I could do that? You did not he did not plan that, people. I he did. just brought it up. <laughs> he just saved. But that but that was the environment. That was the like because you were expected. You know, that guy who my boss, his name was Mark McCabe. He's a great guy. And he was like, No, you sell high. Why are you talking to that person? That person can't say yes. Why are you calling them? Right. That was what he did. He, that's what he that was a guideline. For, you know, so when I told him that story, all he cared about was that you got the right person because you got in and they had the juice to tell somebody to listen and, and buy your stuff. Good job. Do that again. Go do that again. <laughs> we'll do that again. We'll do that every time. So, yeah, that was the culture. So I thought we'd wrap up, you know, kind of with. You know, let's personal culture, right? Because what is our personal culture? Because that matters too. We're talking about leadership, but you know, within leadership, what we do, how we care about our people, is a culture. It's what we do. Um, you know, do we come from a culture? Do we come from actions? Are the things we do are they based in love? Love for our people. Love for wanting to. Um, provide the best environment for the people who work for us. 
Are they based in understanding and patience? You know, are those the things that we do as leaders? I will understand what happens. I want this went sideways. What I do is I have understanding and patience to listen, not fly off the handle. That's a personal culture. Do you do that at home? Do you do that with your friends? Um, what else? We I, innovation, open-mindedness. Is that what you do? Empathy. Yeah, and it's it's they're not just words. If you look at it in the context of what do I do in my personal life, they don't become adjectives anymore, right? Or is empathy is that a Noun, it's a thing, right? It's a noun, I guess, right? Not really a grammar podcast. Yeah, well, whatever it is, it's it's not. It's more something you do, right? It's more a verb. Okay? Well, empathy, yeah, empathy is a feeling, right? Like I empathy. If if you work based on empathy, right, that means that I would put myself in your shoes and try to feel your pain, and right. then try to solve your problem out of sort of empathizing with your pain as opposed to just because you ordered me to or you told me to or, you know, whatever. Yeah, and, but again, it's a if you make it something you do, make it that verb, I empathize, you know, right? Zach, what do you do? I empathize, I understand, I act with patience. Those are the things that I do. So those things make up my culture. Define that however you want. Okay, because if you said I have a culture of patience, my question would be, well, what do you do to exhibit patience? Tell me what you do. And I would, you know, I would have to hear, right? I would, you know, I, I listen to the whole story before I react. I understand the background circumstances to something that happened before I make a comment, right? That's, those are things that we do. Um, you know, I don't know, like, what are some, what are some things to think about? Well, so I'll give you one in tech, right? So like most tech workers like to code well we're saying software text obviously very broad uh, right. we'll, we'll talk about software so some people genuinely like you know maybe they consider themselves artists or craftsmen so they care about the quality of the thing that they're building right whereas others people may care more about maybe less about how that thing's built and more about what that thing does to solve a problem right, right. and so it's sort of two different perspectives on the exact same job neither one's right or wrong but that goes to personal culture one person will always make choices and do things to uh, uh, regarding the quality of the things they build how they build what they build maybe like a carpenter who like only uses a certain kind of wood and only uses certain kind of tools and the other person maybe doesn't care what the materials are they just want the table to hold the hundred pounds so that their customer can set their stand down. Right. And so it's two totally different perspectives, same exact work. Yeah. And, and I think what's important, I think again, a takeaway for this section of the accountability funnel as it is culture is to be mindful of what you do and start to define it. Right. And that's a, that's a great, it's a great drill. It's a great intellectual drill. It's a great leadership drill because it does several things. First of all, it defines your personal culture. But what it also does to actually do that, you need to be situationally aware. And that goes back to our first episodes about um, emotions and things like that. So if you're aware of what you're doing, let me define, let me see what I do so I can define my culture. Well, you have to be very present and in the moment. 
You're very cognizant about what you're doing. And then again, then you then it'll be like, gosh, why am I doing that? I think I'm patient, but I'm not. I interrupt people when they talk. You know, I whatever it is, you know, on and on it goes. So I think that's always a, a good drill. And I do it all the time. Uh, and you're getting me to do it more. But like when you know what your personal culture is and what you do and what you want, then you can make better choices, right? So like, like I tell people, I was just having this conversation this morning, never a better time to get a job in tech than right now. I mean, they're like, if you're looking, like you said, you don't want a job in tech, but if you did, you could get like five offers, right? But if you understand sort of like your personal culture and what you do, you can pick the place that best suits how you think about, it, right? Maybe my team doesn't want quality people. We want quantity people. Well, you know that about yourself and know you wouldn't be a good fit on my team. Right. Maybe your team wants craftsmen and artists. Well, then you're a good fit on that team. And so like the more you know about yourself, the more you can try to find a fit where your personal culture interacts with that company's culture and it fits well before you find yourself in a total mismatch. And look, and that's a, that's a great point because when you want to ask when somebody, you know, that the employer would generally say the person you're interviewing with, well, do you have any questions for me? You know, and this is a good place to start. You know, you can say, well, what's your culture? And, you know, we have a culture of understanding. We have a culture of innovation. You can follow up with that very meaningfully and say, oh, well, what are the things you do that create a culture of innovation? I promise you they'll go, um, well, we we work together. It'll be more platitude. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. We just um, have a spirit about us. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we come <laughs> together. You know, oh, okay. Well, how do you come together? What are the things you do to come together? You know, look, you can, you can take that overboard. You know pretty quickly if they have the answers or they don't. But if they have the answers, that's a pretty good indication that might be a place you want to be. Not to, not to mention, I mean, like when I interview people, if they don't ask enough questions in that section, like your turn to ask questions, that's like a hard no, right? Like they ha you need to be asking questions, a lot of questions, because if the employee doesn't care, prospective employee, doesn't care about trying to flesh out that culture fit, you know, it's going to be a disaster when they get there and, and it's a mismatch. Well, and it, and it goes to, again, the folly of that article that neither one of us read <laughs> the previous episode. But, uh, just but again, that, we did it justice. We did it justice. We did do it justice. But when, when an employer says you're not a cultural fit, you know, but doesn't explain why like what that even means because we do these things and you don't do those things well you know if you understand your personal culture right like it's almost like who cares what the employer thinks like you want to for your own personal culture's sake understand their culture so you can see how that's going to affect your personal culture right because yeah. that's going to affect you way more the company's effect on your personal culture it's probably more profound than your effect on the company's culture. One hundred percent. That is exactly what happened when I left the FBI. And this is a this is a good place to you know to really bring it home as far as personal culture goes because you know that culture, those things that were happening to me, which I thought were unjust and wrong, and just a negative culture that things people did were negative. Then the the arrows were pointed at me. I had to make a decision. I had to fully identify, wait a second, what do I stand for? What do I do? 
And I'll always say your culture or your values, you know, the things you do to make up your values, whatever it is, they're not really yours until, until they're tested, until they come under the gun. Doesn't mean you can't believe them. And if they're never tested, that doesn't mean they're not real. But you really know, like, okay, here I am. This is happening. This is against everything I stand for. This culture that I'm in now, the things people do, do not align with the things I do or the things that I believe. Now I have to decide. I acquiesce and I compromise my culture, in which case what I was saying is bullshit, or I make a decision. Yeah, and I get it. Look, sometimes you have to stay on, you know, stay in things longer than you want to due to circumstances, and I get it. But that doesn't mean that if you believe strongly that you need to not be there or not be a part of that thing, that you don't start making moves and take chances. Okay, otherwise, you become part of that culture, and that's why I left. And that, I think that's a good segue also to what do you do when you find yourself in those awful cultures? What do you do? How do you measure up your personal culture into an, off, an awful, let's just call it work culture, or God forbid, home culture, right? I mean, what do you, what do, you do? So a lot, like the, I think the most common I see is like people check out, like, oh, I'll stay till I get my bonus, but I'm not working eight hours and one minute, uh, you know, whatever. Like, I'll stay in my office and look at Facebook and do the bare minimum. And like that, I think that's probably the most common, yeah? Probably. And, and again, the intellectual drill is this. Fine. That's what you do. Now your culture is that. Because I think you're right. I think a lot of people do check out. They've got a job and like, ah, this is BS. And just a paycheck. Just a paycheck and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, that's fine. Look, and, and that's, that's allowed. I'm, not, I'm certainly not criticizing somebody who does that. Okay, but my only point is, let's just define what you do. You better not go around saying you have a culture of action. Right, or excellence, <laughs> because you don't. <laughs> right? You have a culture of survival. That maybe, right. like if you want to put it in some good way, I guess, that's the hard reality of the drill. You can say whatever you want your personal culture is, but really it's, it's what you do. And you can, you can answer your question every day, right? The days that, you know, we all have lapses in things that we care about, whether it's diet or physical fitness or whatever it is self-improvement and learning and reading, you know, whether it's, you know, again, learning a new language, um, coding. I'm currently in a cold shower lapse as I haven't taken a cold shower in over a year. Well, at least, at least it's a, sh a shower that you're taking. So you were, right, you had a culture of just unhygienic. Well, that was while I was attempting to do the cold shower. <laughs> right. But again, it's, so it's, it's what it is. Right. And so, OK, then what did it come to? And, and this is we're off. You we're, we're on to everybody. But do I do that thing every day? I, I say I'm going to learn a new coding language. Well, do I start it and stop it and start it and stop it? Do I try and then make excuses? That's fine. What you do is you have a culture of inconsistency. Right. The things you do are inconsistent. Not good or bad. It's just what it is. And it's important to define it if you want yeah, that, to care about Yeah, the it. narrative in our head, the narrative in our head so often diverges from reality, right? Oh, like my God. what right. you are versus what you think you're doing, right? Oh, that, that gap is massive. I mean, we are the heroes of our own stories at all times. 
right? We are, this thing happened, and here's the role I played, and it's very, very accurate. Okay? Unless, it's, it's, it's very rarely accurate on either front, whether it was, this went so badly, but I wasn't really involved in that too much. I mean, yeah, sure. You were like the lead person who screwed it all up. You know what I mean? But, you know, pointing fingers. So, you know, I don't know. Like, what do you, I know you've had experience with bad cultures. You know, kind of reflect back. You know, how did you allow your personal culture or what you even thought your personal culture at the time was? How did, how did the two mix? How did they collide? How did they get along? Well, when you're when you're totally unaware of even having a personal culture, yeah, I mean that's probably how I walked through the first three quarters of my career minimally, right? And so, I mean, if I if I think back to like when I was in my twenties in in tech, it was like the same story every day. Like I I hopped around. I, I probably had like eight jobs. Eight that's normal, eight, right? I mean, that's, eight that's... to ten. Yeah, yeah, totally normal. But like so many tech teams, and it was always the same story. Uh, for me, when I was young, which was, you know, you start and you're super excited and, you know, you're productive and you work really hard and like get reputation for the first year. And then you start seeing cracks in your management and start questioning their decisions. And then you get upset because you think the management's holding you back and like the team could be so much better if the leadership like got it and had roadmaps and right. like vision. And then all of a sudden you're like sort of, start that checking out phase where it's like, I'm wasting my time here. Like I'm too good for this place. And then eventually like you leave and start to cycle over again. Right. And so it's like, you almost never, I don't know. It's almost like you're in a different world than like other people in your company. It's like you're in your bubble and like looking out, you don't really realize how things are. And so you get like dissatisfied. Right. Yeah. But like, and I think, I think what you said was, significant in that when you're not even aware you have a personal culture you can't even make that judgment and assessment you know as to how they're colliding how they're interacting how with what you believe is interacting with what the company does or believes and and really we need to focus on does not what they believe because again they're very rarely the same thing what you say you believe in what you do very rarely the same thing unless you're constantly identifying what you do and here's Here's another hard truth. You know, I used to kind of think naively and not that long ago that if I stuck to my guns and my values and did the right things, that would overwhelmingly positively influence the people around me. And I could personally generate that positive change. And it's not true. Sometimes, yeah. you know, and that's I, it, it pains me to say that um, that's why leadership is so important, because leadership from within, you know, I really wanted to when I was part of teams, I really wanted to experiment with the impact you could have of leading properly within the team. And what happens is if the culture is what it is, and in these cases, negative, lazy jealous, petty, those things, not only will you not positively influence those people, you will turn up the volume on their negative traits. Unless you have a leader who shares your values and what you do, and then those people have no choice 
but to rally around you because you have the backing of the leader. And then things happen. And that's, I, I was shocked when I came to that realization. I just thought the power of my positivity, my ability to act on things and do the right thing, blah, 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 could change people. And it can't unless the leader is doing that, unless the person who's in charge, unless the person who has the authority to mandate certain things. Power is real. Power is real. It it is. You can have a positive effect among like-minded people, okay? You can have people who aren't sure what to do, but their attitude and mindset is right. Yes. Then in that case, yes, you can have massive impact. Totally. So like that goes to my cyclical story. Like the younger I was like, so I was talented, but I had no leadership abilities whatsoever, nor did I even conceive that I should be leading. Right. And so if if you sour on your leaders, then you tend to like contribute to the gossip and sort of the undercutting of those leaders. Now, I remember it was probably my like sixth or seventh job. Like the boss eventually said, like, look, if you don't like why don't you like do some leading? Like you're on a team, there's six other people. Why don't you lead them and like make it better? And I was like, I don't want to lead. I want you guys to lead and I want to follow, but I want you to lead in the right direction, which shows like such a sort of naivete, right? You just sort of expect everyone else to be perfect, but you take no responsibility. And I think that was right around the turning point in my career where I realized like, first of all, it's not black or white. It's not awesome or the worst, right? right? You can always make progress. And second of all, you have to take responsibility if you want things to be better. You don't just look at everybody else and say, hey, guys, when are you going to make it perfect? You know what I mean? So that's probably where I started to realize that I needed to be a leader. And it sort of informed my belief, my belief now that like, I think any tech programmer, is they could be 22, they can be a leader as far as I'm concerned. Like if you can start way earlier than I did. I was sort of in the clouds. I had no idea what was going on. But the stuff we talk about is super relevant. Like day one on your job, you can start leading yourself. That's right. right? That's, that's and, what you're talking about. Yeah. And then maybe let that bleed over to other people as you get a little bit of confidence. Yeah. And I didn't look, I didn't want to paint such a dour picture. You can have influence. Okay. But sometimes you do walk into a bad situation. And, but that still doesn't mean. Like, I'm not advocating because it's a bad situation and you can't change anything, you should leave. No, because you're still developing a personal culture inside of that. Sometimes you have to stay in a bad situation. Circumstances demand, whether it's financial or whatever it is. So I get that. So what are we talking about? So let's say it's an environment of gossip, an environment of backstabbing, an environment of all of this. What do I do? You know, if this is not what I believe, and I can't influence positive, in, positively influence the behavior. What do I do? Well, you continue to develop your personal culture. That's what you do. You say, I don't engage in. That's just what I do. I don't do that. Okay. I mind my own business. Okay. I understand that I can't control what other people do or say, but I can control how I react to it. Those are those are that's my that's my daily question. Yeah. Did you understand that you can't control what other people say or do, but that you can only control your reaction to it? That's right. And it's it's powerful, but you have to do it. 
And it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. That's why people just get caught up in that nonsense. Okay, it's understandable. That's why special people don't. People who don't get caught up in that, who are surrounded by it, are special. And it's they're special because it just doesn't happen. They just don't have that. They have to work at that. It's hard to say, I have to not concern myself with what these people are doing or saying. Because it's not my business. It doesn't concern me. And I will react. I will act in a positive manner, whether they like it or not. Because that's my culture. That's what I can live with. I can go home at night and say, that was an awful place to be. I conducted myself like a professional. And I can be proud of that. It was hard to do, but I did it. That's personal culture. You know, that's how you deal with those bad situations. You know, that's how you do it. I think we've, have we crushed the culture? So the next book, book one, what is the, oh gosh, because the whole thing is the accountability funnel. So is that the whole anthem? And the books right. make up that anthem. And the first book was self-leadership with a focus on emotions. Book two was culture, which essentially surrounds the things you do. So let's identify what we do and identify our culture for better or for worse. Because once we identify it. Often for worse. We often for worse. Once we identify it, we can make the proper adjustments and a realistic adjustment. So what's next? All right. So we'll give, we'll give the third book. The third book will be on guidelines. Guidelines for behavior. Essentially, we tee it up like this. If you did not change the way you market, sell, or make your widget, but you behaved in these ways, would your team or organization get better? The answer is yes. Then you've got good guidelines. So it'll be a fairly similar conversation to what we're talking about, but we will narrow down on things. Our things, the things that we think are important for guidelines. Guidelines, they're not, they're not right guidelines or wrong guidelines, but we need them. So that's what we'll, that's what we'll discuss next. Kind of like how you think that this podcast is going to get better if I just show up on time to the recording sessions. <laughs> that right? The guideline is we start on time recording, and the eventual outcome should be our our, our listenership is going to 10x on the net because that would generally mean that we're getting more podcasts in and not rushing them if we start at time and there'll be better quality and we won't miss weeks and things like that so, yes. all right i get it i, I see how it's going to go together i see <laughs> that it makes total sense to me culture man we we rocked it We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Leadership in Tech podcast. That was episode number 66, season 3, Wrapping Up Culture, with Zach Ruiz and Errol Dobler. Check back in next week as we continue on to the next part of the accountability funnel. If you liked the show, then give us feedback. It doesn't matter if it's five stars and a glowing review on iTunes. 
or a thumbs up and another sub on YouTube on our Leadership in Tech channel. We appreciate your support. The Leadership in Tech podcast is brought to you by the Technology On-Ramp. For the show notes and more about the Leadership in Tech podcast and the Technology On-Ramp, go to www.techonramp.com. You can find all of our older episodes there, info on our nonprofit, links to different platforms and sponsors, contact info, and much more. This show is available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Player FM, and anywhere that podcasts aggregate. For more about the companies involved in making this possible, check out Salt.io at www.salt.io and Leader193 at www.leader193.com. Tune in next time for another episode of the Leadership in Tech podcast. Leadership in Tech is brought to you by the Technology On-Ramp, associated and sponsored in part by Salt.io and Leader193. The show is co-hosted by Zachary Ruiz and Errol Dobler. The intros and outros are done by me, Paul Maslany. Production is handled by me, Paul Maslany, and Kara Wood. Our RSS host is SoundCloud. Go there to give us a rating as well as on Apple Podcasts and other platforms. Your attitude